Blog Talk Radio. For sustained humanity, human being, human love, on a spiritual tip, so vast, so great, the African embrace. Live beyond love beyond your skin to where you belong. Look at the 
is just now the facilitating you know inequality in the society society is a science. You know, normally we talk about neoliberalism as a way of transferring wealth from the poor to the wealthiest. Well, neoliberalism is merely a process. Now, the mechanics of wealth transfer from the poor to the wealth is best facilitated by economic planning unbeknownst to the population. This point is, is best conveyed by demonstrating correlation between structural inequality and inflation. So when we talk about this relationship between inequality and inflation, then people get a better sense in terms of just how perilous the situation we're confronted with in this society. So having said that, Brother Africa, I want you to... Now, the relationship between inequality and inflation is rarely discussed in the media. A key driving component behind both inequality and inflation lies with central bank planning. The capturing of central banks by ruthless commissions intent on gaining advantages for a small cobble or mega financiers throughout the world. In the U.S., the privately owned Federal Reserve was tasked with maintaining low inflation because classical economics wisdom held low inflation translates to better business environment and henceforth better employment outcomes. This focus on the domestic aspect of the Fed's mission endured during its early years of operation but slightly detoured post-World War I. While containing inflation continued a mandated goal, the Fed's impact on the business cycle became an even more pressing concern. The business in- environment, once considered of secondary importance, was elevated to prime importance. In light of the global changes taking shape, desires to increase U.S. competitiveness, surfacing for competitiveness to be achieved, excessive funds were indispensable. The drive for competitiveness under the gold standard had its own problems. Constrained by gold reserves requirements that require all financial transactions to be backed by gold, President Roosevelt, 1933, saw it as an impediment to U.S. strength and issued a proclamation prohibiting the export of gold by financial institutions, including the Treasury from converting currency to gold. Roosevelt decree was ultimately weakened, and by the late 1940s, the dollar was devalued relative gold so as to make currencies convertible to gold, but only for official international transactions. Now, the problems for the U.S. concerning the gold standard never really dissipated. Engaged in wars in Indochina, domestic strife over war, inequality, and racism, President Nixon felt constraint of, of finances made it impossible for the U.S. to honor its commitments. Inflation, Nixon argued, would soon deplete gold reserves, and as such, the dollar convertibility to gold would end. In 1971, Nixon effectively abandoned the Brenton Woods Accords, stipulating the value of gold tied to the dollar. However, the dollar as reserve currency remained in place. Now, the course that Nixon inadvertently plotted gave more power to the Federal Reserve. While the government historically attempted to address the needs of poor people, well, let me be more precise, Africa was excluded from programs that, accru- that made it possible to accrue wealth. The new regime called upon the Federal Reserve to pick winners and losers, to pick haves and have-nots and the productive from the non-productive. This characterization was quite evident in federal Fed policy that focused on economic policy to the detriment of the poor. On the, one of the first harbingers, harbingers, harbingers to come to mind was Federal Chairman Volcker uh, with <clears throat> a decree between 1979 and 1982, raising interest rates at double-digit levels and selling treasure bonds to make money less available for business investments to create jobs. His rationale was to contain inflation. Volcker's explanation for his policy was blatantly disingenuous, a distortion of the highest order. The reality is inflation is never about rising prices in society. Rising prices is a symptom. Inflation results from too much money in circulation. What Volcker very cleverly did was blame businesses for setting prices too high. The ultimate aim of Volcker's objective, some economists argue, was to diminish the role of government 
and economic affairs and the destruction of unions, in other words, the implementation of a neoliberal order. Ironically, the state of capitalism goes in cycles, and Volcker was able to strategically plan using the cover of capitalism's downturns. Now, neoliberalism or ruthless capitalism main objective is to facilitate extraction of wealth from the poorest in society to the wealthiest in society. Transfer of wealth to the rich can be achieved via monetary or fiscal policy. Debt modernization or making money through debt typically uses qualitative easing. Qualitative easing is achieved by the Federal Reserve buying or borrowing Department of Treasury securities or bonds, placing them on their books, utilizing fact, fact, excuse me, fractional banking policy, where $10 billion on their books becomes $100 million, $200 million, and so forth. The money increase is exponential. The question is, who has access to these funds? The poor? Of course not. The wealthy does. Their wealth continues to grow <clears throat> because they own all the assets, which increases in value when the government creates money. The disparity between the rich and poor will continue to widen. This widening between the rich and poor of economic disparity is in no small measure the result of inflation. Let me explain it another way. The Fed prints up more money. The wealthy have access to their newly printed money first. Before that money hits the economic system affecting price, any purchases that they, the rich, make is cheaper. For poor people, by the time they have access to the printed money, the prices of the things they need, food, shelter, cars, so forth, have already increased in value. Because the wealthy own all the assets, houses, property, stocks, etc., their wealth is subsidized. They have not done any work to achieve those ends. Traders of inflation brought about by free money from government, the wealthy continue to benefit. Now, the inequality so ripe in the society is reflected in the housing market. Now, the 12 million people potentially facing evictions is the direct result of Federal Reserve policy seeking to lessen their balance sheets. During the subprime debacle of 2008, the Fed gave tens of millions of properties, people who were unfortunately, unfortunately unable to keep up with the ballooning mortgage payments that increased monthly, a result of economic planning. So, of course, we understand that the media continue to tell people that the problem was that there were people who couldn't afford their homes, so therefore it was their fault. But, in fact, this was strategically planned. In fact, the stocks were structured, were structured in such a way to make sure that the, stock, the value of those stocks increased exponentially, which ensured that when those stocks increased, it showed the, the mortgage, the mortgage, which meant that on a monthly basis those mortgages would increase. So the, irrespective of how much money you're making, making, even if you could afford it, a uh, mortgage rates that increased monthly, simply no one could, most people couldn't, couldn't keep up with that. Now, the same organizations that got enormous wealth during the 2008 since they benefit one more, once more in 2021, courtesy of free money donated to the wealthy by government. Also, I should point out the inequality in the U.S. exists around the world, courtesy of central banks. The level of duplicity fomented by central banks is appalling. Thinking the Federal Reserve cares about the lives of poor people is a missed point, that point being the poor are the designated losers. Ironically, the more inflation is served up to the gods of capitalism, the greater the harm inflicted on the poor and the closest, uh, and closer to the bursting of economic bubbles and the insured chaos it will bring about. Annihilate other poor people on the mistaken belief the populists are responsible for a declining economy. And I'll close with that, Brother Africa. Thank you, Brother Haki. Next, we're going to go to Brother Moses. We'd like to welcome him to Africa on Move. Welcome, Brother Moses. Yeah. Thank you, thank you, Brother Africa. And greetings to everyone within the sound of my voice, especially the illustrious panelists. My name is Robert Andrew Moses. I've been in the struggle for scientific socialism 
from the moment I was introduced to Marxism in a government class back in my high school years, 1968. I call Marxism the race to cure racism. I bear witness that there's one God, Jesus, who is the author and finisher of my faith, and that Mao Zedong is his messenger for government. Fathers, help your children. And we don't reverse correct verdicts, Brother Africa. I'm pro-choice, and I vote. ERA, yes. Equal Rights Amendment, yes. Women, women hold up half the sky. And I want to thank you once again, Brother Africa, for allowing me to be on the show. Thank you, Brother Moses. Father Brother Moses, we're bringing Sister Eleanor. Sister Eleanor, welcome to Africa on the Moon. Sister Good Eleanor. Evening. Uh, good evening, everyone. Good evening, Brother Africa, Brother Hakeem, and Brother Moses, uh, and to all of our listening audience. It's been a dramatic summer. We've seen uh, Zionist uh, uh, apartheid in uh in may and we continue to see mother earth uh responding to our irresponsible behavior and the impact of global warming in addition the uh virus continues to uh wipe out tens of thousands of people on planet earth and uh, the biggest struggle I see we're facing uh, is facing these authoritarian governments. There was a demonstration on the 26th of uh, the month of July at the Cuban embassy, and there were uh, backwards people that were there actually suggesting that Cuba was a, a, a fascist state. Did they forget Donald Trump and his four years as an elected uh, president of the United States of America? Did they forget Modi in India or uh, Bolsonaro in Brazil? And what about Belarus and so many other places? But thank you so much for allowing me to participate in this broadcast and uh, all the best to our listeners and I hope they call in and give us their comments and opinions. Thank you, Sister Eleanor. And just for a note of disclosure, I would like to share with our listening audience and supporters that um, at this point in time, I'm operating a little bit under the weather. I've been under the weather for a while, so I'm going to do the best I can to get through this program. So y'all just bear with me. It's very painful. But in the meanwhile, what we're going to do right now, we're going to take a culture break, a real road share culture break. And when we come back, we want to invite you to come and join us as you discuss what's going on in your world and community. And you can do that by dialing 323-679-0841, hit 1, and we will acknowledge you. So we'll be right back. This is Africa on the Moon. I'm 
Come from Westmoreland, you're an African. 
white northerners don't care how far or how high blacks attain in life, but just don't get too close to whites. While southern whites don't care how close you get to whites, just don't get too high in attainment, end quote. This statement essentially reduces regions of the U.S. into a periculture where reality disappears and rationalizations for the non-spoken becomes a norm. Statements like fiscal conservative social liberal is one of those statements which seeks to obscure reality while promoting the notion fiscal policy or economic policy does not impact social policy. Clearly, this statement can be provided by a brief definition of fiscal policy. Fiscal policy is defined as the use of government spending and tax policy to influence economic conditions, specifically global economics. Implicit in fiscal policy is a focus on the economy, specifically the global economy. In this context, fiscal policy is in competition with other states' fiscal policy. If the intent is to outcompete other states in commerce, why would fiscal policy involve itself with questions of social concern? It would not. In fact, if it could be argued when it comes to competitive competition over commerce, the relationship between fiscal policy and social issues share an inverse relationship. For example, if inflation is high, fiscal policy may deem increasing tax rates as a means to boost revenues for, for inflation's impact on government's debt obligations. Decisions made by government will no doubt negatively impact on the lives of poor people, resulting social disadvantages resulting from government policy means for the poor, excess of food, shelter, fuel, costs, etc., becomes more difficult to secure, certainly in quantities sufficient to provide for their families. Let's look at a different scenario pertaining to fiscal policy. In the case of economic recession where businesses' profits falls, companies' inventories rise, and government access to finance reserves suffer, the federal government may result in lowering taxes as a means to increase demand. In other words, and by doing that, they increase the consumer, the consumer demand. Now, lowering taxes may contribute to lower prices, but it also contributes to government financial deficits considering the government is bringing in considerably less revenue. How does the government cope with less revenue? Simple, they cut services. Services vital to the poor are first to be eliminated. Services like daycare, job training, transportation, bus services, grants, all are eliminated. The government cut in the 80s is so devastating, it elicits combination from many sectors in society. Government understanding the usefulness of public relations changes strategy to eliminate programs for the poor. Instead of revenue sharing with the states, ensuring states receive the revenue they needed, the federal government started using issuing block grants, ensuring states did not receive the revenues they needed. This compels states to cut, if not eliminate, programs related to the poor. The most insidious of these cuts was President Clinton's Personal Responsibility and Work Opportunity Act, which established a time frame for financial system for young mothers stipulating after a child attends kindergarten, parents must have a job because the systems will end. The idea around employment sounds good, but let's not lose sight of the fact capitalism is not predicated on full employment. When the Humphrey Hawkins Bill in 1978 attempted to mandate full employment or job for everyone who wanted one, the bill was watered down. The Humphrey-Hawkins Bill, fashioned after the Employment Act of 1946, mandating jobs for everyone in the U.S., was changed to merely encourage the government to provide resources to create jobs for young people 20 years and older. The mandate to create jobs for everyone who wanted a job was averted, and the social needs of the poor again were disregarded. It seems capitalism has an aversion to employing poor people because too much employment of poor people would heat the economy and greatly reduce profits for the wealthy. Now, from a legal perspective, the Supreme Court has to perform a balancing of interest between commerce and the public good. It is no secret the Supreme Court has historically afforded commerce the greater protection. 
Supreme Court Justice Fred Benson between 1946 and 1952, while on the Supreme Court, ruled commerce should not be disadvantaged by what is perceived as a public good. Mandating corporations to employ people was seen as an intrusion on corporations' right to profit, to prosper, or to make profit. Ironically, issues of reciprocity or government investments in corporations using public monies or the people's money has never been an issue for the, for the courts. Now, courts continue to see commerce as an entity, not a configuration of people working to create a product for, for the general good of all involved. In this context, Supreme Court rulings are fiscally conservative in that the mode of financing, investment, and property rights for corporations is the domain of corporations only, and they alone sit in the driver's seat. Decisions made by corporations that adversely affect others increasingly are becoming non-issues for the courts. Failure of the legal system to see the structure and justice practiced by corporations with government approval only encourages corporations to push the boundaries, further leaving behind a wake of needless suffering and despair. If fiscal conservatism means less government or less regulation of business, I mean, relative to 1980s, there certainly has been less governmental regulation, uh, less um, government intervention. Government intervention and less government regulation has resulted in the explosion of social ills, i.e., homelessness, unemployment, and poverty. Perhaps it's time to reevaluate fiscally conservative, socially liberal dogma. Feel better. It's about time to stop saying it. And I close with that, Brother Africa. Thank you, Brother Haki. Interesting. The Northern liberals don't want you to uh, get too close to the whites, but you can get all you want economically in terms of development. And the Southern whites don't want you to go and develop economically, but you can socialize with the whites. Hmm, that's interesting phenomenon, Brother Haki. Let's move forward. We'll come back to that. Next, we bring in Brother Moses. Brother Moses, what's going on in your world in the community? Brother Moses. Yeah, um, it's been an interesting week. I think, you know, we need to circle the wagon, so to speak. Um, we need to support Cuba in this hour of need uh, with with these counter-revolutionary Gusanas and uh and so it's in that spirit that uh, that uh, I say, you know, we need to unite with with uh, groups like World Can't Wait, uh, Courage to Resist, uh, Answer Coalition, Revolutionary Communist Party, CPUSA, uh, uh, Party for Socialism and Liberation, All African People's Revolutionary Party, GC, all the progressive groups. We need to somehow come together and uh support the liberation the liberation struggle uh uh against the blockade and and the uh embargo against cuba uh, this is of urgent need uh, that's the present thing on my mind right now thank you thank you brother Mosley. we concur with you and we also remind our audience that friends and supporters of this radio show and other progressive organizations, we encourage y'all to come on this upcoming tour to Cuba in December, on the 27th of January 3rd, with the African Women's Association. So please email us if you have uh, interest and, um, you know, come and see it firsthand and learn from their experiences and support our brothers and sisters. Right now, we're going to Sister Eleanor, Sister Eleanor. What's going on in your world and the community, Sister Eleanor? 
Well, I I agree with uh, Brother Robert that we need to organize, and in particular, I, I'm thinking of labor. You know, one of the things that made the uh, the country strong was not the rich giving the working class anything, but the but the working class organizing and being a part of unions. And this week, we lost the. Uh, head of the AFL-CIO, but more importantly, union membership is down uh, maybe to about 15% in the United States and is on a steady decline. And we saw what Amazon did in Alabama a few months ago, and, and all the courts found Amazon to have been violating major labor laws and slap fines on Amazon. But Amazon is such a big money maker until they just pay the fines, and that's part of the cost of doing business. In addition, another concern this week, of course, the Dixie Fire and environmentalism, but it's the issue in in New York City where uh, black homeowners are fighting a program that allows uh, property seizures for unpaid utilities. You know, you can call virtually anything blighted or, or or abandoned. Your mother dies and you take a couple of years to figure out what to do with the property and people are only coming in on the weekends and someone can claim that's a, a abandoned property. Now, this started in the day with Rudy G, uh, uh, with uh, Trump's attorney. So, I mean, this isn't exactly news. But it is news, and I think we should stand in solidarity with the folks in New York City. And uh, there was a law like that in the district. It was called the, uh, uh, I can't think of the name of it. It was the Utility Act, where if the utilities weren't uh, paid, you could come in and take over the property. Now, in the district, where there was so much outrageous redlining for so many decades, for much of the 20th century, that meant that capitalists were taking over other capitalist property. Most often they were taking over white folks' property and uh, having the people who lived in those properties suddenly pay them rent. But in New York City, in Bedford-Stuy, where there was a whole co-op movement and a bunch of folks owning homes, now gentrification, uh, Brooklyn is, uh, the new Manhattan. So apparently uh, folks want to get this property and take it over. So uh, citizens in in uh, Brooklyn in the Bedford-Stuy area have filed the suit in the Second Circuit Court. And uh, forgive me for not knowing the proper title of the Second Circuit, but it includes New York City and a few other states, New York State and a few other states are trying to fight this back. So we see that the people must organize. We see that uh, information is not trickling down to the people. We're busy. Uh, Our children can't manage to get computers, but they manage to get guns. We can't manage home ownership, but uh, we manage to fill up the prisons as a part of the industrial prison complex. And this, this, all of this behavior has historical roots in, in uh, systemic racism. So it's time for a change. And uh, 
African Americans are leading leading the nation in standing up for human rights. So I just want to say that uh, I hope that unions will gain strength in this country, and I uh, I certainly hope that uh, workers will unite collectively to stop the embargo, but to also stop what's going on to the American workers right now. And that is deplorable wages and people working every day so that they can live on food stamps and in public housing. Ridiculous. Thank you, Sister Delanoa. You know, one of the things they said when we encountered the West, they seemed to put us on a path where we went from the pure the four Ps, the path of the four Ps. We went from the pyramids to the plantation to the project to the prisons. Some kind of way we got we got we got to break that 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 role of oppression. So anyway, what we're going to do right now, this is Africa on the Move. We will continue the discussion. What's going on in your world and the community when we come back from that rubbish culture break? And when we come back, we'd like for y'all to think about this particular question. And I raise it in this context, what's wrong with this particular statement and this policy? That was a mayor from Richmond, Virginia, who recently came out this week, stated that he's going to make it a mandatory policy for city workers to have to take the test to take the shots, the COVID shot, they're mandatory for the city workers, all but the board supervisors and the teachers. So I find that to be a real interesting statement. Can y'all tell us maybe what is wrong with that statement? Think about that. We'll have to discuss when we come back. This is Africa on the Moon.
Africa on the moon. And yes, don't be a Buffalo soldier. And the world need to be on fire. Need to be on fire for a revolution. There must be a change. A change to eradicate the oppression that humanity is facing under the domination of imperialism and capitalism, Zionism, and all systems that exploit human beings. So, brothers and sisters, let's set this world on fire for the good and move forward. Welcome back to the Africa on the Move. When I left, we raised questions when I took a panelist analyst. And we invite you to listen to the audience to call in as well. We'd like to hear your views. You can do that by dialing 323-679-0841. Hit one, we'll acknowledge your last four numbers. Um, when we left all, we asked our panelists and analysts tonight. I would like to y'all to give us some thought and think about the statement that was made by recently by Mayor of Richmond, Virginia, where he required all city workers to make it mandatory to take the virus shots. But he made an exclusion for uh, the board, the board directors of the school board, and the teachers. Now something don't sound right with that particular policy. Tell us, what do you think about the policy? What's wrong with the policy, Brother Haki? Uh, Brother Africa, I got to tell you, you know, when I first heard that, I was somewhat confounded because it, it makes no sense at all. When you think about uh, the relationship of teachers uh, specifically, you know, with the students, uh, why would you want to put in a position where theoretically at least you tell us that this, this issue of COVID-19 is very real, and so therefore by not having them vaccinated, you will potentially impact on the health of the children? To me, that makes no sense at all. But I suspect the class element is playing a big part in, in, in terms of the, 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 the mayor's decisions. Because one of the things that's very interesting that when he exempts, Teachers and school board members, these are more professional people. They're much more educated compared to the workers of the city. So perhaps uh, the people in positions of uh, uh, people who uh, have access to information and education, perhaps uh, they convened with the mayor to talk to him about the necessity, you know, of exempting them you know, from wearing masks and or taking that shot. So clearly, I think that, you know, on, on the surface, as a mayor, it seems to me that, you know, to even, to even bring up such a, such a topic to the masses of people, to even somehow to, to state it as somehow is justifiable, it seems to me either this, 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 this mayor is uh, uh, ex, 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 extremely corrupt or, he's, uh, uh, or he thinks that the masses of people are immensely ignorant in terms of the repercussions of the statement that he made. So clearly, Brother Africa, it doesn't make sense on any level for the teachers and the, the school board members to get away with not taking the vaccine, but you're mandated for the workers. Does, in, in addition to that, Brother Africa, I think also one of the things I think um, that comes to mind, I think, I think what he's saying inadvertently, he's saying that um, possibly that, that your social conditions, social economic conditions, has some bearing on your susceptibility to uh, catch COVID-19. And if that is his line of thinking, then I, he come from the, apparently he comes from a position board members and the school teachers are more educated and much more economically um, um, stable. So therefore, the possibility of them coming down with COVID-19 is considerably less compared to city workers who tend to be high school, high school um, uh, graduates. 
So clearly, to me, Brother Africa, it makes no sense at all, but I suspect that the class in the implant weighed large in terms of the decision to, to make such a ruling. Uh, it seems to me that, you know, if he's really concerned about the, the people as supposedly he is, then certainly, you know, creating that kind of division, you know, among people uh, who are all part of the city bureaucracy seems to me it, it is very hot, seems to me it, to be discriminatory. And so I have a real problem with it. Brother Africa. Yeah, Brother Haki. Um, my question to you is, I think we have some, some technical difficulties. I got you. Um, we had some problems with um, technical difficulties. We got to straighten out on the board. But uh, when Haki come back, we will continue discussion. What I would like to do at this point in time is, since Eleanor, we talk about this statement. What is your take on the statement when he talks about Making the the city workers take the shot by excluding the city, uh, the board directors and the school teachers. What do you make of such a statement, Sister Eleanor? Well, Brother Africa, um, thank you, Brother Africa. Quite frankly, it it reflects on my earlier statement this evening. Evening, the teachers are union workers. They're organized. They're a part of a labor union called the teachers union. And when workers are a part of a common collective, they have strength and power. So that's why the teachers, because the teachers themselves made a decision and their leadership took action. The teachers are organized. They're union workers. Who else is organized in Richmond? Of course, the workers for Safeway are organized, but... They've been trying to break that union for years in the grocery store. Giant is organized, but Wagmans and Piggly Wigglies and Harris Teeter, they're not. Nor is Trader Joe's decision was based on the fact that the uh, teachers are members of unions and union workers have a say in what happens to them what benefits they receive, what wages they earn, et cetera, as well right. as they're addressing the issue of their health concerns. Brother Moses, your take on this? Um, I think, um, I think you know, given the fact that, that we have a pandemic, that this virus, COVID-19, is deadly, and that the longer we delay, the more variations will come about. I think it should be just a mandated period for everyone to have a shot. That's my position now. Uh, I think it's neoliberalism to think that there's something going to happen that's going to change the situation. Uh, the facts are there, and they're stubborn. They're not going to go away. Uh, so we've got to get people vaccinated. So I think it should be mandatory. That's my position. Thank you. You know, Brother Haki, since I know I concur with the points that y'all made earlier, I would also like to get y'all response to the point earlier before we had some technical problems on our board is that if you exclude the teachers from getting the shots, what does that say about how you view students? Because don't you also now have the students become vulnerable? 
uh, or being exposed to it as a result of teachers back in the shot. If your argument is these shots has a value, you can stop me forgetting it, Brother Hackey. Well, let me just first uh, respond to something Sister Eleanor said. It's important we understand when we talk about traditional unions and to the extent that they have power, does it exist in Richmond? This is Virginia. Uh, they don't play that. This is right to work state, and they don't play unions. They don't play it at all. They have representation. I mean, they have uh, groups. Uh, they have they have a, a teachers they have a teachers group, but they have no real power. Uh, real power resides with the mayor. So I just want to make that point. Oh, I think that in terms of I, I think it is a real irony when, when we talk about the safety of the student. So for me, when you when you make that kind of declaration, when you're saying that teachers are not are not mandated to take shots or wear masks, and it seems to me then what you then what you're saying is that you're just saying that the lives or or, the, or, or potentially infecting the kids, the youth, uh, in, 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 in his calculation, uh, is simply not important. So I'm having a hard time understanding that because it seems to me that you know, at the, the very basis of, of the educational system is to educate the, 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 the youth, the kids, the children. The mere fact that you're talking about potential that you put in lives at, in, 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 at, at risk by not having the teachers take the shot it seems to me that you know that you that you are you are definitively you're making a statement. Whether or not you own up to that statement is another thing. But the bottom line is that when you say that you're going to create this condition, this environment, which potentially could negatively impact on the lives of the children, then then you that's all the way to look at it. You're saying that their lives are superfluous, their lives are unimportant. So I have a real problem with that. So I don't think there's no way of getting around that. So the mere fact that he did that. Uh, speaks violence in terms of how he sees the kids in the city. Now, one of the things that I think if he was in the suburbs and he's tried such a thing, that'd be a, a massive fight. I don't think uh, that would that would that would play very well in the suburbs. I think in the city, because the kids you have this a certain reputation in terms of um, their receptiveness to education. I think given this this, this stereotype, I think he feels more empowered to come up with these kind of scenarios, which potentially in uh, could impact on the kids' lives and health. So clearly, Brother Africa, it makes no sense to me at all. So, you know, I think he is making a statement inadvertently, uh, which is not good in terms of how you see the kids in the city of Richmond. So, Valor, your response to the impact they may have on the children in the classroom by teachers not being uh, vaccinated? So, Valor, And as I, as, as I had said, this is a global pandemic. So if we do not inoculate everyone, we can't save everyone. And this variant, these variants are rising because of our failure to vaccinate uh, enough folks to create herd immunity. So um, there is a stereotype about urban children, which really is changing rapidly, that urban children are perceived to be black and brown, to be of lower income, and that sort of thing. But I really think that I know Virginia is a right-to-work state. However, the teachers are in a union, and unions have power. That's why workers form unions to fight against 
these oppressive conditions that state legislatures can create for workers. However, Robert said it eloquently, until we vaccinate at least another 100,000 folks, we're just passing the virus around. Now we have more children, as Brother Akeem was talking about, are the children valuable? We have more children affected with the coronavirus than ever before. They're now coming down with the Delta version. The Delta variant, I apologize. But uh, it, it has to do with those teachers being organized, in my opinion. And I do think that Robert is right. Everyone, it should just be at this point a mandate. Everyone needs to be vaccinated. We failed. We're a divided country. We, we are a two-party state, and other countries like New Zealand have six or so parties. Ireland has 11. But we have two little parties in this country, and we act like we're that different. There's no real difference between the Democrats and the Republicans. Normally, Donald Trump created an incredible chasm, chasm between the parties. And folks are thinking this is a political issue. Where I live, there are people tearing down the signs that say wear masks. There are people walking through the corridor where there's 1,600 people living in an apartment. Is Eleanor? I think we lost Sister Eleanor. Let me see if we can bring in. Sister Eleanor, can you hear us? We wait till she come back in. Brother Moses, your take. Anything you'd like to add to this last point? I had to, oh, excuse me, I tried another line. Okay. Go ahead, Sister Eleanor. Finish your thought. I I just think that uh, this is a very scary scary situation. We saw brothers and sisters in Cuba uh, earlier in the month of July, marching in the street because of their need to be vaccinated against the coronavirus and the uh, fact that Cuba had to build three new hospitals and divert electricity to combat the uh, pandemic. And this embargo is costing Cuban persons their lives. So the same thing, we need to come here where everyone in this country has an opportunity to take a vaccine. Anyone that can afford to fly here can take the vaccine at no cost. So right now, and I feel I put my faith in this because I prayed to God that he would find some, that God would find some way to bring some halt to this pandemic. In the early days of the pandemic, Trump was saying it didn't exist. He was telling us to take hydrochloroquine and Clorox and this and that. He wouldn't wear a mask. This became a political issue in the United States. And now it's continued to be a political issue. But right now, lives are more important than politics, whether they're macro or micro. And it, it sounds like in terms of the micro-political world, the union rules, the teachers' union rules right now in, in Richmond 
However, as Robert said, and as Akeem said, well, how can the teachers put children at risk? How can the teachers decide not to even wear masks to protect the children of Richmond? Is it because their skin is black and brown? That's my question to you, Brother Africa and Brother Akeem. And what's your question, again, sister? Can you phrase uh, your question? The was why would the teachers be allowed not to wear masks? In well, I don't think I don't, I don't think he said masks. He said they wouldn't have to take the shot. So that was that was sort of seemed like he scored whole narratives, the whole narratives that they presented to the public. This is instructive yeah. on, well, on why he would exclude anyone. From, from from the shot if they claim that, you know, it's so important to have it to keep it from spreading. I think that was the point that I was raising. That was the concern, the confusion that I had when I listened to that statement. It just goes against the whole narrative of this whole issue of how deadly this violence could be and how you could be exposed to it. More likely by not having it. And speaking of that, that's the narrative that's going on now. They yeah, seem to be putting all the burden and blame on those who have not taken that shot and the ones who catching this new virus, the Delta Delta virus. Brother Hockey, we had a discussion on that, and you raised a very interesting point about how could that be? How could they catch this new virus if they never had the first one? Will you speak to that a little bit from your perspective, Brother Hockey, or that contradiction? Yeah, I, I, find it, I find it interesting that you have these variants of uh, COVID-19. Uh, you got, you know, um, uh, after the the Delta, you got the the Epsilon, so they they got them all lined up. The thing is that normally, when it, when in terms of how viruses operate, uh, normally they evolve, and so therefore, in order to, in order for one one virus to see the other, they evolve from the previous virus. So you have a situation nobody have a virus, but all of a sudden you come down with Delta or Epsilon or whatever. It raises the question of what the hell kind of virus is this? This is a magical virus, uh, you know. But let me just say something real quick, little brother Africa. You know, my my point is that you know, obviously the mayor position is that you know that the the the, the notion of um, taking the shots is not as key to fighting COVID nineteen as we think they are. Otherwise, there'd be no justification to mandate the teachers and the school board not getting the shots. So I think there was a lot of information going around with respect to COVID-19 in which, you know, uh, people are not openly talking about, but they have some weird reservations in terms of what is this COVID-19 thing. And the mere fact that we got these, 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 these viruses lined up, so after the Delta, then we got the Epsilon, and there's another one after Epsilon. It's like, it's very interesting, you know, um, you know in order for these things, these viruses to succeed from one another, they have to have a predecessor. There has to be a, a virus that exists before in order for that one to mutate into a different strain. This virus seems to be, even though you don't, even though the strain doesn't exist, it seems to me that uh, you can now you come down with a Delta variant if you never had, if if, if you never had COVID-19. And so it, it seems to me it's all very, very strange. And I'm just thinking about that. This, this to me doesn't make any sense at all in terms of how viruses operate. And so, and I, I've been doing the research. I think we are lost, Brother Haki. Hopefully, he'll come back on. But, Sister Eleanor, do you have anything else you'd like to see on this year, Brother Moses? 
Yes, I I I would that the uh corona virus has uh, uh become a variant of itself and that's what delta virus is. And so we understand why it exists because as you know Moby in India was denying the existence of virus as well. And consequently I can hear myself. Uh, consequently, uh, there was that huge pandemic, that huge, not pandemic, because the pandemic is huge and global, but there was this huge outbreak of the coronavirus in India, and that's why I think they call it the Delta variant. It's much easily, more easily transferred from person to person. It spreads much more easily. It's much more uh, vicious in how it affects the human body. I uh, was listening to a nurse speak recently where she was speaking to a 34-year-old patient uh, in the coronal uh, ward in New Orleans, Louisiana, and he was talking about his family, 34-year-old. In three hours, he was dead. And I do know that is exhausting medical professionals around the nation. Now, in Louisiana, I understand that many of the doctors in Louisiana and medical staff aren't vaccinated. So definitely class may play an issue in your ability to social distance, in your ability to not have to subject yourself to... uh, what do you call it, public transportation and that sort of thing. So they, uh, they're they managing to escape that virus. However, I don't think you have to have contacted the virus in order to become susceptible to the Delta virus. I, I think that the variant has come as a result of a lack of global vac- vaccinations. Look what's happening on the continent of Africa right now. Now, we didn't get as much publicity about what's happening in South Africa, nor in Kenya. But right now, that virus is killing people, and the poor are being forced to stay out of, uh, in South Africa, out of Johannesburg and out of Dublin. They brought in the first week of demonstrations, they brought in 25,000 soldiers to protect those two cities in South Africa. And 172 people lost their lives in demonstrations over the loss of income and the lack of access to vac- the vaccinations in South Africa. So it's a global problem. And as Brother Akeem said, the variants are just popping up. And that's because we are failing as a planet to inoculate everyone. Mm. You know, it's like get a shot in the arm and get a paycheck in your pocket. Uh, I think we have Brother Hackey back here. Brother Hackey, 9289. Are you there, Brother Hackey? Yeah. Yeah, Okay. Yes, we can. 
they, they cut me off, brother. <laughs> anyway, yeah. But anyway, anyway, like I was saying, I, I just, I just find it extraordinary. So I, I've been looking at in terms of the, the evolution of viruses, in terms of understanding how they work and how they are transmitted. And uh, this, this virus seems to be doing some magical kinds of stuff. And I'm just, it's very, very interested in terms of, you know, how these viruses are playing themselves out. And 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 the mere fact that you know, as I alluded to many weeks, a couple of weeks ago, this question in terms of um, fur and clericite, in terms of the ability, in terms of making these viruses more effective, uh, you know, I have yet to talk to any doctors yet in terms of who will refute the notion in terms of um, the, uh, the the presence of you know fur and clericite inside of these these vaccines. And so clearly, brother, Africa, there's something there's something fundamentally wrong in terms of what's going on. And because there is so much uncertainty in terms of what's going on with respect to COVID-19, uh, I think people are, are hesitant to take it simply for that reason alone. You know what I mean? And one of the things that we talk about herd immunity, herd immunity, one thing to be clear on, when we talk about her immunity, one of the things, the definition was changed by the Central Disease Control and the World Health Organization. They changed those definitions in terms of herd, herd, uh, herd, excuse me, herd immunity. Herd immunity, herd, immunity, herd immunity is only possible now once you get the, once you get the shot. Normally, herd immunity has something in terms of getting a shot. It has something that naturally occurs, you know, as as, as the human bodies adapt using disease viruses, and that's called herd immunity. Now, they, herd immunity can only exists to the extent that you get a shot, and then herd herd immunity comes into being. So none of this makes any sense. And even though, you know, just to say we, sh- we should refute, you know, the politics, the bottom line is we've got to understand everything is political. Uh, everything is political. As much as we like to believe that, that everybody uh, out there have humanity's best interests at heart, the bottom line, the world is not organized that way. Uh, specifically, when we talk about the context of capitalism, we talk about the ruthlessness employed of capitalism, then we've got to understand that we that you know that most of the people on the planet are esoteric. Their existence is, is totally so is, is not only not needed, is not desired, and so therefore it's not it, 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 it's reasonable to conclude that under those circumstances, that those people who want to eliminate large number of people on the planet, uh, this virus certainly would serve would, would serve that effort. So clearly, to me, brother Africa, you know we we can't uh, just we can't exclude the politics. We have to understand the politics. And, and and there's so much coming out every day in terms of you know the the, the proliferation of these viruses in terms of you know uh, people actually being vaccinated twice and still coming down with these viruses and the question becomes what, what, what something is you know something is so something is askew something is fundamentally wrong in terms of you know, this virus what we're being told and what's really going on are two different things and that is part that is political and so we have to understand that. So one of the things I can't do and will not do is to tell anybody that they should take these vaccines simply because the, the reality is that given, given what's happening you know, throughout the world, uh, you know, there, are, there are so many reservations with respect to this, this COVID-19, these, these vaccines, uh, so much reservations in terms of precisely what's going on. you got doctors and scientists on different sides of the equation, you know, arguing, take it, others saying, no, don't take it. Some saying take vitamins, others say hydrochloric, Hydrochloroquine is also effective in terms of, you know, uh, reducing the spread of um, COVID-19. So you have these arguments between professionals going back and forth. And so clearly, you know, the more I research and the more I look into, you know, these, these, these concerns, 
you know, it, raised, it only raises more and more questions. And like I say, after talking to, to, to a couple of doctors around this question in terms of fermenting clericite uh, and their refusal to, to address my, my, my question, I'm left with more concerns in terms of precisely what is going on here with respect to these vaccines. So until I get some clarity in terms of what's going on with respect to these vaccines, then um, I'm like so many people in society, you know, I'm, I'm sort of hesitant, you know, uh, to, to venture to take it simply because I'm not sure precisely what I'm taking. And I'll close with that. I believe we have Brother Anthony on. Let's bring him in. Call the 1327. Is that Brother Anthony? Welcome to Africa Remove. Brother Anthony, what's going on in your world and community? Can you hear me, Brother Anthony? 1327, the mic is yours. Okay. Let's say call us 6653. Call us 6653. Hey there, how are you? Your question comment, please. Yes, call us. Go ahead. 6653. Comment goes in uh-huh. tandem with. Can you hear me? I'm sorry. Yeah, go ahead, call. Okay, my my point goes in tandem with the brothers that just spoke. It if we remove the vaccine off the table and we think of Black Pan African people historically. The white establishment has not had our best interests at heart. Big pharmaceuticals, large hospitals, Tuskegee experiment when they withheld truth from us and people were spreading syphilis. So when we look at malaria, you don't see the type of global concern. When you look at the issues that we have health-wise, so now let's bring COVID-19 back on the table with the same dynamic, the same CDC, the same World Health Organization, the same FBI, CIA, Mossad, the same KKK, Democratic Republican Party leadership. Then you say, well, what has changed besides COVID? So reintroducing for me and my circle of friends and colleagues and family members that are close, reintroducing X as a variable to trust Y when Y, the KKK, aren't trustworthy is immediately a concern. Unless, of course, the entity presenting gives evidence that I care about black people now. So not only that, but it does seem as though It's an experiment. It's a clinical trial. Right on the government's websites, most of them say this is a clinical trial. So why are they pressuring people and bullying on social media and getting celebrities to claim you better get the shot if you want to be a good person, a good American? Instead of saying, look, it's a clinical trial. You don't have to participate. We would like you to participate, but here are the dangers. Here are the possible side effects. They're using scare tactics, and as black people, forget what white people do because they have the right to do what they want, but as black, brown, Moorish, African people, no. For me, I'm observing to see what occurs until they tie me down and take me in to get the shot, which they'll probably do like Nazi Germany and all these other regions that are fascist. Thank you. You know, call the film for a second. I'd like to engage, engage with you for a little bit, the rest of our panelists. I'm thinking along the same line that you're thinking. First, it seems like they, they, they just take away our common sense. There are a certain amount of common sense we should be able to use when we're doing our analysis of certain, certain phenomena. Now, I raised the same question you raised. 
the same people who have not only tell you to take the shot, but they even making the stuff up. We don't know what's in there. They, never, they don't want to tell you what's in there. They allowed them to, um, the, the legal rights and not to be sued, not to be have responsible for any kind of um, any kind of sickness or death that may come from it. You can't sue the pharmaceutical company. On top of that, these are two companies that have no history of even making uh, vaccines. Why would you give two companies the right to do something they have no expertise in? And on top of that, it has been reported that uh, the president of Pharma made a statement that he would never take these vaccine shots himself. So just by those kind of actions, just using your common sense, looking at the history of what the West has done and capable of doing, why would you just openly take anything they say? I, I, I'm, I'm in, a, in agreement with the logic that you're raising. So, you know, not only they, they are forcing folks now to take it, they are positive now where you don't take it, people will lose their job, can't go to, won't go to work. Uh, also, if, if if you don't take it and you get fired, you don't get, you can't apply for no uninsured, uninsured, um, uninsured, uninsurance benefit. I mean, this, this knowledge just don't add up. It reminds me a little bit of the war on drugs. You know, this is loosener war they created on drugs. And look where this uh, got done. Look at this, this just the behavior in Nazi Germany, where they use a technique to be telling people lie long enough, hard enough, they believe it. It seems to follow those kind of patterns and stuff. So, you know, that's exactly the issue that you raised in caller. Your response, caller, to what I just responded back to, some of the things you have stated. Yeah. I'm on the same page. In fact, if we look at what our government has done, they have allowed certain judges who worked for big pharmaceuticals to become one is a U.S. Supreme Court, maybe more, on federal level. There are also some politicians that have these connections, and they allow big pharmaceuticals typically, like the farming sector, to self-regulate. So imagine if you and I could run a red light and I would say to you, hey, bro, guess what? Uh, I'm going to self-regulate today. I'm going to run this and not pay mm-hmm. the ticket. But it's worse than that because it's our food supply and our medicine. And so there's so, there's so much evidence. In fact, look at the patents. Who owns the patent? If these companies loved us so much, guess what they would say? You know what? We love humanity. We're putting this patent into the public domain so that every single person gets to benefit from it financially. So if you come in and you participate in our experiment, you get a small check every year as this medicine is used. I mean, every angle you look at this, you smell BS. It's the legal side, the moral side, the ethical side, the biochemical side, the chemical, I mean, everywhere you look. And so as I look at it, I'm sad for some of our people who have taken the shot because it's not an attack on them and their character, they did what they thought was best. But for the rest of us, we still love you that you took the shot, but we are more critical of the system that's giving the shot, not you, a -hmm. black, brown person who has taken the shot. We're still the same group, family, tribe, trying to figure out what the hell is the establishment trying to do. The rich are getting richer, just like during the Great Depression. The patents continue. During the Great Depression, some of the richest people got richer as other folks were jumping out of windows and struggling. September 11th, boom, towers go down. Tower 7 mysteriously goes down. And now we have trillions of dollars spent 
on a war on something invisible, terror. The war on drugs impacted black and Latino people. The war on crack. They put crack in our community. Our community is still negatively impacted. And now here comes the war on something that they probably, if they didn't create it, they definitely allowed it to get out, just like they allowed Malcolm X to be killed. And then they sit back and say, hey, you know, we're innocent. It's the same game over and over. Who knows what they'll do in 10 years, some new thing, and they'll pull us into the, into the trap. So, yeah, my family, we're not, unless they tie us down and lock us in. But here's what they're doing. I forgot this. They're not using law. They're using policy. So they can't pass a law to force you to take it. So what they're doing is pressuring large corporations, mm -hmm. airlines, etc. So for most people, you have a job. If you want to keep your job, for many of them, you have to get the shot. Well, that's a policy, but it's not a law. If, it, if they could make it a law, they would. Obviously, they can't, so they're pressuring us. And on social media, oh, I got vaccinated. No love lost. That's your choice, but I don't want to participate in an experiment who knows how they will affect black people in the future. They're messing with our genetic code. Never before in history has this been done on this level. Who knows what's and, going on? And, and Carlo, can you also connect the dots? It's really interesting coming at this time. You know, they stated about 2050 or before, uh, the majority makeup of the people biologically in this country would be people of color. And they would be completely at a minority. I just yeah. find that real interesting. And I also find it real interesting if they were so concerned about the people and the virus, while on the one hand they claim they want to help you on this end, and other countries like in Cuba, Venezuela, Iran, you know, you name them, they're trying to find ways to make it difficult for these people to be able to um, get, get, get a, a vaccination that will protect them from the virus. Uh, I don't understand if you would participate in a way where you try to kill people on one hand, and then on the other hand, you tell the people you want to save them by helping them to, to, to um, mm -hmm. not to be able to um, um, catch it. It's just too many consistent historical contradictions for, for you know yeah. for our people to buy into this okie doke I think it's, saying, it's similar to saying stuff that in Nazi Germany when they critique Hitler. And they talk about this whole question of how he came up with these so-called undesirable people. And these should be the people that should be discriminating. And he came up with a similar methodology for how to justify that. So, again, you know, history is too consistent to look at the past and look at the present and put the two together, not to use common sense and say, look, man, this stuff did not end up, make no sense. But anyway, Carla, I'm not, you can stay on, but let me get, get my panelists back in, let them weigh on what you have just heard. We'll go back. we got Brother Haki back. Brother Haki, another? Yeah. Issues you like to raise in terms of this discussion. I concur with the last brother that was on, but go ahead. Yeah, well, yeah, well, I, I, I think that, like you're right, Brother Africa, there are simply too many questions to be answered in terms of, you know, how does the virus, how does, how does virus came about. Uh, one of the things, when they advocated that, in fact, that this virus is a result of a, um, a Wuhan lab in China, it's very, very interesting. It's one of the things that, you know, during my research, one thing I discovered is that, you know, prior to the advent of the so-called emergence of COVID-19 out of Wuhan, China, there were 160 cases in the U.K., UK the U.S., and Canada. And interestingly enough, you know, uh, there hasn't been nobody, most people are not aware of that. So the mere fact that this virus pre, pre, preceded 
supposedly uh, leakage from the Wuhan lab, speaks values in terms of the kind of complicity, the kind of politicking that is going on with respect to this virus. And so, therefore, because the information that we continually get is, 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 is erroneous, then we got to conclude that because the information is faulty, then there's something fundamentally going on. And we can't, we can't, we can't disconnect the politics from, 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 from the reality. So we, if we don't think historically, as the brother said, uh, then we, we do so at our own demise. So we have to start thinking historically and understanding that, you know, if this virus, like you said, Brother Africa, if this virus is so destructive as it's painted to be, one of the things you're absolutely correct, and why is it that uh, the patents for these, for these, for these, for these, for these, for these vaccines are, are not, not uh, simply uh, given away? They shouldn't even have a pattern. They should have anyone who wants to replicate those vaccines should have the right to replicate the vaccine because humanity is that important. That's not what's happening. These, these, these Pfizer, Moderna, and the rest of them are, are doubling down in terms of their desire in terms of maintain absolute control over these patents to ensure that they receive billions and billions of dollars. In fact, one of the things that uh, this guy um, <clears throat> Um, I call his name so much I can't remember his name. He's a billionaire. What's his name? Um, the one who taught advocate uh, population control. Um, Bill Gates. Bill Gates. Gates. Melinda Gates. Bill Gates. Right. Bill Gates. Yes. And he's now he's talking about already. He's setting up shop where he's in Africa, where he's where he's setting up talking about a potentially a third and fourth shot in which he's going to capitalize on and make additional billions of dollars. So clearly, so clearly, this this threat against humanity. It's not really a threat at all. It does seem to serve a political agenda. And we've got to be clear that when we talk in the context of politics, we cannot dissuade this, this idea that, that capitalism plays no part in terms of politics. We, 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 must, we must understand this core reality because if we play into that game, then we do so at our own demise. And I'll close with that, Brother Africa. And just to add to this point uh, to our listening audience, don't they know every time they go to these pharmacists and stuff, every time they shoot these shots, they, they get paid, they come and get hundreds and thousands of dollars. One of the things they ask you is, do you have insurance? Why the hell would they ask you, do you have insurance? And if you have insurance, they have it so that insurance company, they get paid through the insurance company. If you don't, then the federal government take up, take, take up the cash. This is trillions of dollars these folks is making. Um, at the at, at our expense, so it's all of a racket game. But anyway, uh, what I'll do is I'll let Eleanor get her last comment on this, and Brother Moses, then we'll move forward to another subject. But <laughs> since Eleanor, you heard what we just stated, your response. Is Eleanor, are you there? Okay, if yes, you go to I'm Brother here. Moses, yeah, yeah okay. I'm here. All right, the mic is yours. Previously, that I feel that since the U.S. taxpayers paid for the development of this vaccine, that the information should not be proprietary, that anybody that's capable of producing this vaccine should be allowed to do so, that there should be no proprietary knowledge. Pfizer and Moderna already announced how much money they could make off of other uses with this vaccine. Why are they holding it back from others? You're correct on that on that notion. And I and I have to admit, uh, I agree with your perspective and this other gentleman that 
you uh many people found themselves in a position uh at first they said certain i was told as a uh certain vulnerable groups uh with certain illnesses oncology patients certain patients uh, couldn't take the vac- vaccination but then i i was told that well if certain if you don't take the vaccination then you will not be able to necessarily see your doctor you may have to find another doctor because uh your doctor didn't want to come down with the corona 19 virus and was <laughs> interested in their reproductive rights so they couldn't take the vaccine themselves so it is a lot of confusion and a lot of uh, misinformation but I am concerned that the people, the embargo against Cuba be lifted during this pandemic to allow them to administer that vaccine as well as to share it with others and to get the medical uh, resources that they need in Cuba right now. And the issue of Iran and as well as Venezuela is a very important question. Why are we restricting their access to the vaccine? And look at Palestine. The apartheid regime of Israel has, in, the, in that military settler state, has vaccinated their persons and we're beginning, as you know, to give a third booster shot to Israeli citizens. However, the Palestinians, during the uh, attack on the Palestinian people in May, they destroyed their Corona-19 clinic. It was bombed. So I really do not understand these questions, and they are perplexing. And there are real concerns about the fact that if we want to decrease global warming, we can decrease the population of the planet, and that will be one step that we can take immediately. So th- those are questions that are perplexing. Why? And look how many millions of people have died to date. And in the, originally, we talked about the virus not being lab-created, but now people have stepped back from that. I knew that was a political statement when they made uh, a, a statement that, oh, it wasn't created in a lab in China. We don't know whether or not it was. China did not open up for the world to see whether or not what its origin was. But we do know one thing, is killing millions of people. And maybe you can separate looking at the virus itself and looking at the vaccine and come up with methods of protecting your families and yourselves. But again, brother, I do agree that the proprietary knowledge should be made available to anyone, any farmer that is available and able to produce the vaccine so that people who want it in Kenya, in South Africa, in Egypt, in Morocco, in Venezuela, in Cuba, and wherever else are able to be vaccinated. No Haitian had been vaccinated until about 10 days ago. No one had any vaccine, access to the vaccine until Biden sent uh, some doses. The Haitians, the Haitians don't want that, the Haitians don't want that stuff. 
They're not confused on Eleanor. You better talk to the people on the ground. They're not confused. All of these things they are being experimented done to the Haitians, you think they're going to take that stuff? You got to check that history and find out again what's going on in Haiti when it comes to the people. That's but anyway, that's going to be brother Africa, whether or not the Haitians are lining up to take these uh, Moderna and Pfizer vaccines from the United States. That's hey, don't believe anything shown that don't believe anything shown on, on this media on that TV. But let's go to Brother Moses. Brother Moses, you always you'll find response to this issue. Are you with us, Brother Moses? Okay, we'll come back with Brother Moses Brother later. Brother, Brother yeah, go ahead. Go ahead, Brother Hackey. Just to just to just to straighten out some uh, some um, misconceptions. Uh, first of all, China did open up the lab for for scientists to investigate. They found nothing. That's first thing. Secondly, if we really want to get in, engage the essence of COVID nineteen, then what we need to do is go to Fort Detrick, Maryland, and go into that lab and allow scientists to come in to 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 inspect that laboratory. Now, interesting enough. U.S. is adamantly opposed to international scientists coming in and investigating their laboratories. Why? Because that is the lab, that is the place in which numerous, vi- numerous viruses have been created right out of that lab. So let's be clear. So when we espouse things that are not true, uh, we do ourselves a disservice because, because, you know, one of the things that we don't want to do is propagate propaganda, you know, for those positions of power. Our, our job is not to propagate propaganda. We're not going to do that. We're going to tell the truth. Even we're going, to, we're going to speak truth to power, and that's what we should do. And so when so when you say that China, in fact, wouldn't allow them to have access, that is ex- exactly the same propaganda they put out in the media. Even after the scientists went to the lab to check it out for themselves, there's still well not as much, but there's still from time to time someone would say, well, you know what, we still haven't investigated the Chinese uh, uh, Wuhan lab. Uh, it's not true. They did, in fact, if you go online, you can check it for yourself, that they did, in fact, go to China to check out the lab, and the scientists said there is nothing to it. One of the World Health Organization officials said there's nothing to this claim in terms of the virus originated, you know, in China. So that's, that's very, very clear. So, you know, and, once, and, we, well, so once we run out of so, – um, let me tell you this, Brother Africa. Once we run out of, uh, once we run out of excuses to justify – you know, uh, you know um, the existence of this virus. The problem with doing that is that you know we 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 call blunt. We give support uh, to a strategic or strategy employed by those people in positions of power who don't necessarily have the interests of our people at heart. Who don't have the interests of humanity at heart. And so we have to keep that fundamentally in the back of our minds in terms of what we're up against. Now you talk about global warming. Now if we're going to if you want to if you want to um, do something about global warming, uh, you don't have to destroy the population of the world to do that. If you want to decrease global warming, then you destroy capitalism. If you destroy capitalism and you allow people to work together to plan and to put their research and their, and, and, and their monies toward, you know, a new paradigm for the world, then you could avert, you could, you could, you could avert global warming. They're not going to do that. They're much rather destroy this planet than to policy to the, to the extent that they benefit from what the current paradigm in terms of how the system, how the global system is arranged. 
So the killing people is not going to bring down global warming. That's not going to change. Uh, change, destroy, destruction, destruction of capitalism is what's going to save the planet. That is the core reality, and so I'll close with that. Okay, brothers and sisters, you listen to Africa on the Move. What we're going to do right now, we're going to take a register culture break. When we come back, we're going to make our transition to our theme tonight, part two, Effective Human Development and Bodies, and we'd like for you to win. There's some articles <coughs> that we uh, want to highlight that we think is very important in terms of uh, being aware of these things that are going on in our community. We'd like to have your views and your perspectives, and you can join us. So dial at 323-679-0841. Hit 1. We acknowledge your last four numbers. So we'll be right back. This is Africa on the Move. Don't you go nowhere. Chains, living in pain, today is the same, and nothing ever changes. Hung by a noose, can't tell the truth, filled with abuse, and everywhere there's danger. How long can this go on? When will the light I see? I know. I must be strong to last through my journey, yeah, to last through my journey, yeah. Time will arrive when we must decide to get off the ride and stop going through these changes. We must prepare and learn how to care, but soon we'll be there while our lives won't be in danger. And when the light is clear, oh how beautiful I will be to know that I've been here and made it through my journey, yeah, and made it my journey, yeah, 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 made it through my journey, made it through my journey, Pellerino, a bloodline across the waters, from Benin to Salvador Bahia, a scar across the face of the earth. Pellerino, the place they brought the Africans, the place where they tried to make them slaves. Pellerino, you can feel the whip, hear the cries, and see the blood in the red clay. The clay that holds the stones together is African. And each stone is a bone from a people called slaves. Pellerino was the place where death came to dwell. His neighbors did not complain, for he was a way out. From the cold, gray, cobblestone streets to the lifeless cathedrals, tall walls of demons called angels, haunted visions of white faces, crucifying Jesus again and again. But in the sacrifice of this blood, of this dance with death, 
comes life more rich, more pure, more alive, where death has spent many lonely nights, pacing the floors of his funeral parlor, waiting for someone to die. Pellerino, a French word called the place of torture, became a place of strength, a place where faces of white saints became faces of black gods, where haunted visions and demons became healing visionaries and orishas from the motherland. And Jesus rejoined his kinfolk and was reborn and baptized in the sound of sensual skin turned up to dance, to inspire a fire like the sun pronouncing his presence. Pellerino was the tongue of the flame, licking the eyes of those who have tried to remain blind, shining a light on a spirit that would not be denied. No, the chains did not break the spirit, did not enslave the music of my soul, did not shackle the will of my freedom, did not tarnish the glow of my gold, and all the Pellerinos in Africa, in Europe, in North and South America cannot destroy the majesty of my people, the love of my people, shining like the sun everywhere we go, everywhere we go. When the light is clear, oh, how beautiful I will be. And made it through my journey, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. We'd like to welcome you back to We Have to Call the Move. We're going to make our transition right now to part two affecting human development and bodies. Um, we're going to talk about this article. If you take a chance, please Google it. Look it up. It was published on September 19, 2020. Title: "The announces all phone calls from county jails are now free. From our political panelists and analysts and our guests today, we'd like to have some kind of discourse on this particular article. They talk about how San Francisco has become the first county in the nation to stop generating revenue from incarcerated people and their family, lifting their economic burden for low-income communities, boosting connections to support networks, and easy, easing re-entry. Brother High Key, what is the central positive impact that families no longer have to pay for these uh, phone calls? that you normally would have to pay for when you um, are incarcerated in these city jails? Well, I think the benefits are that it, it, it uh, maintains or assists in maintaining the, the family unit. Uh, one of the things that, um, you know, these, uh, these politicians are uh, content to say, they often talk about the fact that there is the, the family structure in the African community is non-existent. So it seems to me that anything can strengthen its family unit in the African community, and it seems to me that it should be for it. So the mere fact that San Francisco decided to implement uh, this, this program in terms of not, uh, you know, and, you know, uh, facilitating this 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 this, this, uh, this this burden, you know, on the poor, will go a long way in terms of facilitating, you know, uh, strong bonds between, you know, um, uh, men and women, women and men, 
in terms of uh, being able to, for a minimum, be able to talk to each other and to maintain those ties, which are so important in terms of being able, you know, to con- the continuation of that unit uh, once that individual is out of jail. Okay. Sister Eleanor, your response, what you think has been the positive impact of um, no longer have to pay phone calls from city jails as relates to people who have family members that may have been incarcerated? Sister Eleanor. Well, it's a, it's a, a great success for San Francisco. For one, um, uh, for the incarcerated, their families are where they are going to return. They'll return either to their 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 parents or their or they'll return to persons that they have marriages or partnerships with. And so, whenever you're able to maintain some kind of communication, is excellent. But um, I think it took a big bite out of the. Uh, prison industrial complex also, I think that was good, that they were profiteering off of these poor incarcerated people and having to make a decision over child care, personal hygiene products, or a telephone call. Because uh, I can't tell you how many people who know folks that are incarcerated, and when they call you, it's a collect call. Collect calls may be obsolete. I don't think you can get. I don't know if you get them on cell phones, but on landlines you still do. And that's surely someone calling from a, a penitentiary. I think it was excellent. I also think lowering the uh, prices and the price gouging on commissary goods was also an excellent move. And I would really commend the mayor, Breed, and uh, and the. Uh, San Francisco legislature for doing something so progressive. And my uh, interest was whether or not that uh, Bill 555 that was going before the California legislature, was that passed statewide or not? Now, according to this article, it didn't really say, but what we can do is we can check up on it and come back next week and let our listeners know. know. We can do that, okay? Yeah, it was a great success for the for 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 human rights. Okay, they bring in Brother Moses. Brother Moses, your your response to this article. Like we are lost, Brother Moses, for right now. But anyway, yeah. you know, it turns. Yeah, go ahead, Brother Moses. Um, yeah, this this is great. This is good news for the prison. Prisoners and uh, incarcerated people, and we need to expand this everywhere. This we need to. This is a president that should be expanded and adopted by everyone, uh, everywhere. Uh, the even even the penitentiary itself needs to be the uh, reformed in terms of this. And uh, you know, certainly it helps. You know, when you communicate with your family and loved ones, etc., and those who care about you. And uh, it helps the, the, the inmate, and it helps the people on the outside, assuring them that that one is okay. And uh, you know, we, certainly we we supported uh, uh, the commissary uh, uh, price structures. Uh, 
lowering the prices in the commissary items and stuff. That's good, too. needs to be done everywhere. Um, the prison industrial complex has been profiteering off us in mass incarceration for so long as pitiful. And, uh, and uh, anything that can change, we, sh- we should support it. Thank you. Yeah, I think Eleanor made the issue of um, some of the looking at some of the economic impacts um, this policy have had historically on our communities. For example, it states that prior to these reforms, if an incarcerated person made two fifteen minutes phone calls a day in San Francisco, it would cost three hundred dollars over seventy days, which is the average, which is the average uh, fair stake of fifteen hundred dollars over the course of the year, they just for two. You talking about two phone calls, two fifteen minute phone calls a day over a year? You talking about fifteen hundred dollars? In terms of the issue of price of the commissary, yeah, Reed Glasgow were eight dollars, and now it costs four fifty five, a reduction of forty three percent. They got them used paying. They were paying thirty dollars for shoes. Now nineteen dollars. We're still a lot of money considering the the, the the very very low pay that they receive in prison for their labor. Uh, they are deodorant three dollars and fifty cent now two dollars and twenty cent. And these are still very high prices considering again, as I stated, the monies that they 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 are paid based upon their labels. Uh, so. These are just looking at some of the costs of how they have burdened our communities and families of, of, of the cost of incarcerating our people. Now, one of the things that are interesting when they're in private prisons, and they may be doing it also in some state and federal prisons. Y'all can call me if, um, if, if I'm not correct. I think now a lot of them, if not most of them, they even now you have to pay just for the state, just so you stay, stay in the jails or the prisons to be incarcerated as a cause. Just to, just to be in, just just for stand there. So you know, on one hand, I think that's a that's a great policy. It should be something that should be you know more widespread done throughout the country. And actually, should be a movement around the issue. I'm just wondering why it hasn't picked up no traction, panelists. What y'all make of why we haven't heard or seen more traction of making other cities and localities take a similar policy as relates to this particular. Um, practice of uh, not putting the pers- the burden of communicating with those family members who may be incarcerated, not putting the burden on them in terms of these phone calls or what have you, particularly at the positive impact it is having as a result of not having to pay these kind of fees. Why has there been more of an outcry, more of a discussion, more of a uh, awareness <laughs> or movement around this issue, family? What's your take on that? Who's talking about the Africa? It's over to anyone who wants to start off. Well, I think I'd like to, and I'll tell you the reason it hasn't been picked up nationally is traditionally um, uh, during the 20th century, African Americans made up the a greater number of the prison uh, industrial complex. Now, as after the ab- abolition of slavery, um, 
industrialists, farmers, mine, mine, mine owners, everyone found themselves in a position of needing labor. And uh, traditionally what they had done up until the 60s in this country was uh, rent out prisoners because they had no rights to earn wages. However, the states had a right to rent them out at a huge profit, so they rented them out in West Virginia's coal miners in the state of Maryland and Virginia to build the highways and the infrastructure that was built 50 years ago, 70 years ago. Uh, it was prison labor that often did that. And um, blacks began to be uh, stigmatized as criminals and violent people because we were the folks that were being uh, used in these chain gangs, in these, in these um, uh, uh, work teams. And that is, so we went from having the prisons themselves, state-run prisons, rent out inmates or lease them out as a commodity, as labor, a labor commodity, to developing the privatization of prisons in the United States and is now the Industrial Prison Project. So we went from having the pork laws where I could accuse someone of stealing my pig or a chicken and claim my chicken was worth $100 and you need to work for me and you can't set your wages because I determined that your wages aren't worth what you think, but it's what I choose. And uh, we saw this go on for a century, and we transitioned from that immediately into the prison industrial complex. So the reason no one has observed this or made this observation is because there's this people, the descendants of enslaved people, descendants of the Africans that were bought here in bondage quite often that uh, are overrepresented in prisons that are invisible. And we are an enigma in this country, not only to the whites, but to people, because systemic racism doesn't know a color. The only color it knows is that black lives hadn't mattered, so no one had taken a look of how much they mattered. It was always, people tried to say it was a class issue, it was this and that, but no, it is a race issue. And no one has taken a look at this simply because it was, uh, what was a GTL's right to make all this money on the phone calls that run the commissaries. But the big problem of that is that now that very kind of behavior has transferred to nursing homes. If you're in a nursing home, you can't buy a soda for 35 cents. A, a Coke is $2. You can't buy a, a box of tissues for 50 cents. You have to pay whatever the institution feels you should pay. So increasingly in this country, we are seeing institutionalized uh, care and the uh, and it's taking it's it's modeling itself after the prison industrial complex in my opinion and generally the poor the aged the black and now we say the brown but quite frankly i think black people have a far harder road to hoe 
than anyone else in this country other than maybe indi- other than indigenous people. Was Hachi so, going to say something? Yeah. I, I agree with Sister Eleanor. Uh, the Constitution plays a big part in terms of, you know, why uh, most um, uh, penal institutions in the city, in this country, are not going to uh, create favorable terms, at least humane terms, for the inmates. Uh, one of the things is that when we talk about the Constitution in terms of, uh, uh, in terms of this uh, desire, um, to practice slavery in the context of prisons or being incarcerated, and, and in order to understand that 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 reality, there's a certain amount of desire to dehumanize. And so I think so when the Constitution says that that slavery is is justifiable in the context of prison in, in, in the context of uh, prisons or jails, then essentially what it's saying is it's okay to dehumanize. And so so clearly. So clearly, one of the uh, so clearly one of the uh, uh, one of the tenets of the prison itself is simply to dehumanize, and that's no question about that. Secondly, I think also the question in terms of social control. Uh, one of the things that we understand that you know when you have a situation inevitably, we got a lot of poor people locked up, and the cost of things is so expensive. Inevitably means that a lot of people who are locked up don't have access to those things they need, like the odorant, uh, those kind of things that are sort of mouthwash or toothbrushes and so forth. Uh, which means that it's going to create a certain amount of a certain amount of uh, division. In other words, it's going to escalate violence, and that's precisely what they want. So you have a situation with someone who who definitively cannot uh, afford a toothbrush and toothpaste, but someone who can. Then, if that individual is not strong enough to fight for his or her possessions, then the reality is that that individual be be victimized. And so the, the sense of victimization in the prison system is something that the authorities want because it makes it possible for them to maintain a certain amount of social control. But also I think probably equally as important is that we talk about the political benefits in terms of prisons in the first place. Uh, one of the things they want to facilitate, people in positions of power, one of the things they want to facilitate is this whole us versus them uh, dynamic. So if they create a position that the inmates or the prisoners are them, then they can vilify those prisoners because those prisoners are something that you don't want to be. They are the scum of the scum, they're the scum of the earth, they're the wretched of the earth, they're horrible. We're not like that because we're not locked up. And so you create that dichotomy in society, which so therefore in that context, uh, once you label people as somehow subhuman, they label them somehow unimportant or you label them as somehow superfluous, then inevitably, then we kind of, when you talk about abuses, particularly when you talk about the high cost of being incarcerated, and Brother Alfred, you're absolutely correct. Uh, one of the things they, they do do, they actually, in southern states, out of southern states, they actually charge people for being incarcerated. So you work in making 17, 17 cents an hour, or in some cases 17 cents a day, uh, that little money that you get goes to the state authorities uh, for your keep. So clearly it's all about the humanization, and so therefore no one can realistically expect most of these institutions, uh, uh, correctional institutions in this country, to follow suit. I don't think that's going to happen simply because the Constitution is on their side and the Constitution values the dehumanization of other human beings. Okay, before I come to you, Brother Mosley, let me take this caller who's just joined us. Caller 1327. You've asked for numbers 1327. Welcome to Africa on the Move. Your question or comments? Caller 1327. Hey, it's uh, Hotep. I called in on a, another um, number. Sorry, my other battery is a bit low. 
Uh, the prison institution, okay. the entity that you're discussing is Global Tech Link. They're the company that has the contract. <laughs> well, they have deals with Goldman Sachs. They have deals with many other um, large corporations. So what happened was the first corporation in the world was a corporation that had slaves, etc., in Europe. I think it was in Belgium. And what the white Europeans and Americans have done is created an artificial corporate entity from behind which they can do whatever they want, typically, and get away with it. So instead of the slave master being Massa Bob on the plantation, the slave master is Metro PCS or some other entity. And then they go out and take advantage of black people and even some of the white employees because the corporation, the bottom line is money. We just happen to be at the bottom in this Western American caste system. But look at what the system does if even a white person um, threatens their safety. They'll bomb the nation and take them over. So the prison system, like was explained earlier, is benefiting from our pain. And the corporations today that benefit, RICO laws should be utilized to shut them down because when you look at how they connect their tentacles, it's very illicit. In fact, the same phone company has um, major influence in a healthcare company. So then you look at it and say, wait a minute, mm-hmm. the prisoners are in jail working for free or for a few pennies. The phone company that's exploiting them also has deals with a healthcare company. And you just look at it and think, oh my goodness, it seems to be very illicit. But by the way, they were sued. That's the reason why California has this change. They were sued several times, and I think they had no choice but to make changes because of Black Lives Matter and because the world is kind of a bit more aware of some of the usual scam that the white supremacist system does. But it wouldn't succeed if some of our billionaires and people with hundreds of millions took a stand. So just like on the plantation, it took the sellouts to tell the master when the revolution was coming. Look at the very top of the black establishment and probably 99% of them are a part of the problem why the rest of us don't get where we should because they tell the master, look, I got this. Give me my cut. I'll keep these Negroes calm. Thanks. Okay. Okay, panelists, anybody else like to say something else before we go on to our next article? Point well made, my caller. Well made. Um, let's move to the next article. As we talk, think about our theme, part two, affecting human development and bodies. And in this case, we're talking about our bodies, uh, African people, people in general. As we talk about this article, Israel is joined African Union as observer, ever being kept out for two decades. How do you tie that particular article into our theme tonight, Brother Half, Half, Brother, uh, Brother Hackey? Uh, <laughs> all right, good, a good question, Brother Africa. is a is a, is a very good question. Uh, you know, um, you know, it, it could be tied to the topic of tonight in so many ways. But I got to tell you, one of the things I, I find a, a, a extraordinary. Is that you know? In order to answer your question, I think one of the things is that you know, um, you know, uh, the question has been raised: Why would the African Union recognize the regime of Israel? Uh, one of the things that's interesting is that 
it wasn't a it wasn't a, a, a vote uh, taken by the uh, body in its, in its entirety. What happened was the African Union Commission, which consists of ten officials, a chairperson, a deputy chair, and eight commissioners, they unilaterally made the decision that Israel will become uh, you know part of the African Union as an observer. So clearly, Brother Africa, I think that uh, co- uh, corruption played a part in terms of making it possible uh, for uh, Israel to become uh, observer of the African Union. Keep in mind, for over 20 years, the African Union has re- has rejected um, uh, Israel's uh, uh, a membership as an observer. So clearly, I think corruption played a big part. So I think it's much easier to to bribe 10 officials as a, as opposed to bribing you know 54 officials. So I, I think that played a large part of it. But what is interesting, though, Brother Africa, is so that when you talk about the changes in terms of um, in terms of to the OAU Charter, now historically, the organization African Union uh, was a was supposedly you know on one accord, but in, in 1999 that was changed. They pursued a policy in which they wanted to change the name Organization African Union to African Union, and the question is why. And then according to those individuals of this commission. Uh, the reason why they want to change it to the African Union was to accelerate uh, three reasons: it's to accelerate unity among African states. That's ironic. I thought the organization African Union was all. That's what they were trying to do. Secondly, to better address social, political, economic ills. That's precisely what the organization African Union did. Thirdly, they wanted to better participate in the global economy. I think that is is, is the rub in terms of why they recognize Israel. I think it's all about in terms of you know financial relationships among some corrupt African leaders in terms of doing business uh, with, um, with, uh, with, um, with 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 Zionist, uh, with the Zionist regime of Israel. I think one of the things is that when you look at the history in terms of the Zionists in terms of the continent of Africa, people often forget you know if it wasn't for the fact that the Ugandan people served and fought, uh, Uganda today would be considered Israel, and so clearly. You know, designers has no love for the African continent. So the real fact that these corrupt commissioners decided to afford, uh, to extend that opportunity for the designers regime of Israel to become part of the African Union, as you said, an observer, uh, speaks violence in terms of the kind of corruption, the kind of malfeasance, the kind of ignorance that pervades African leadership. And so clearly this has to change. I think also, Brother Africa, you know, just in keeping with the question that you raised, one of the things that's very, very interesting is that, you know, when they change the name to African Union, it's very interesting. The question of Pan-Africanism has not been discussed since 2012. And so, therefore, you won't discuss African Pan-Africanism on the continent, but you will invite Israel to be uh, an observer of the, of the African Union. So clearly, Brother Africa, uh, in terms of the repercussions, uh, in terms of the hardships, uh, potentially, uh, that Africa is going to subject itself to by recognizing Israel, uh, it, it speaks speaks values in terms of the mistakes uh, that African leadership made in terms of who it tends to uh, befriend. So for the so so for those two commissioners who participated in this in this sham, uh, clearly uh, you know their position, position perhaps is they're going to capitalize and make lots and lots of money, maybe so. But what does that mean for the entire continent? Not much at all. So clearly in terms of the advancing of, of Africa. The, the desire in terms of controlling its own economic destination, desire in terms of ensuring that people are educated, desire to ensure that people have access to health care and to education, all those things are so vital in terms of a functioning continent. All those things, to a larger sense, going to be mitigated because you got a you got right in your midst a, a Zionist regime which is committed to the oppression and domination of people of color around the world. 
So clearly, Brother Africa, this uh, this this event speaks values in terms of the mistakes made by African leaders and, and why Africa continues to suffer in the 21st century. Brother Moses, what you make of why is there an interest for designing the state one bill? Why is why is that interest want to be a observer at such a meeting OAU, Brother Moses? Well, you know, the Venice plan the world is dominate and have their way in their field and so they want to be part and parcel of anything that's um, planning the future and um, so that they can have their input and uh, and I know and know if, even if they don't get the input at least they know what's going on and they can take a position uh, accordingly the U.S. Israeli war machine is on the move, and it continues to to um, displace Palestinian people. And uh, and you know that there's nothing going to change until we stop it. I'm I'm going to leave it right there. Thank you. we seem to be the only. No, I guess that we are, because there are other confused neocolonial forces too around the world. But it's clear when you read this article where they say these 26 African nations have relationships and recognize the state, the state of Israel today. What did you take from this article? What can we learn from this, Sister Eleanor? Are you with us, Sister Eleanor? While we wait for yes. the sister to come back in? Yes, I'm, okay. I'm here. I'm here. If it weren't for, as Brother Hakeem said, if the Zionist movement uh, that was uh, developed in Warsaw, Poland, had its way, it would have selected South Africa as its new homeland. However, the Afrikaners fought fiercely against uh, the annexation of South Africa as a Zionist state. So they had a choice between Uganda the British even cut off a little bit of Iraq and created Kuwait, offered them that, as well as Uganda. But Uganda didn't have a port, and the climate was not very conducive for a Zionist state, and they didn't realize the amount of oil there at that time. So <clears throat> um, I think Israel is a, a capitalist nation. It's taken advantage of the fact that there are many people that are not politically astute globally. They're taking advantage of the dictatorships that exist in Africa. And uh, just like in Central America, you see big churches now. You sit up and you see a, a big church. It looks like it's in, uh, in Virginia or Maryland somewhere or in, in South Carolina, but it's in effect maybe in Honduras or El Salvador. And you'll see the Israeli flag there in the menorah. Israel is trying to gain political power. It's playing on the time in our history, global history, where authoritarianism, fascism is on a rise. This is for political and economic gain. That's why the Israelis want to be a part of the African Union. And it's taking, you know, advantage of the fact, taking advantage of the fact that 
many, many, many persons don't realize when the Zionist state was established. They're they're confused and think this is some type of biblical destiny, when in effect is not. It's a political state. It's a military settler state. You know, fellas, one of the things I out of the show. Could I follow up? Yeah, go ahead, Haki. Go, go ahead. Up. What's this? I don't know what I'm saying. It is interesting yeah, that we point out that this one, that that the the the, the, the um, designer's motivation is purely uh, political. It's not spiritual. Uh, nope. One of the things when you talk about when you talk about Zionism, you're talking about politics, pure and simple. In fact, one of the real ironies is that the Beta Israel, those those Jews out of Ethiopia, the ones that you talk about, actually talk about in the Bible. They have been treated like criminals in the, in the regime of Israel. And so clearly this anti-African sentiment is very strong in Israel. So clearly it, ha- it doesn't have interest that hard in mind. Also, something that hits even closer to home, when you have a situation where you have the so-called black Hebrews, uh, uh, most of those, those are Africans out of the U.S. who settled in the Demona and in the, in, in the regime, the Zionist regime of, of, of Israel. Now, interestingly enough, Demona is also the place where they store the nuclear waste. And so, therefore, the worst possible place people could be, they got the black Hebrews living there. And even at, even in that context, they are still kicking them out of the country. Even the children who were born there, who legally got a right to be there, are being expelled from, from the Zionist regime of Israel. So this anti-African, um, so the anti-African thread is very, very strong in terms of how the Zionists operate. And so when we talk about – I think it's important we underscore that when people talk about, talk about Zionists or the political movement, we have to understand – that one of the things, you know, when we talk about anti-Semitism, one of the things you have to understand that the people that they oppress, the Palestinian people, are in fact Semitic people. And so labeling them anti-Semitic is, is, is ironic because the people who perpetrate injustice against the Palestinians tend to be European and not Semitic. And so therefore it's very, very interesting, you know, that uh, they would label people who are anti-Semitic, able to label them anti-Semitic, and somehow they are opposed to themselves. So this political character in terms of the formation of the Zionist state uh, uh, speaks values in terms of the kind of uh, contempt it has for African people. And so for African people, you know, to embrace the Zionist regime out of some quote-unquote economic concern or, or, or economic benefits, I think in the long scheme of things is going to really, is really going to undermine Africa's development. In fact, they're going, all information they, they, they're privy to would be used to, 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 to undermine all those strategies, all those uh, business, connections, business deals they have in terms of the empowerment of the continent. Uh, because what happened is the Africans made it possible for them to make, make it possible simply by allowing them to have that kind of, uh, to be in the vicinity of, of, of so many uh, African leaders who are, making, who are making policy, setting policy, who are discussing these policies. So they're about there to observe firsthand exactly what transpired. And you got to understand that none of the things that the, these Zionists are going to do is going to be for the benefit of Israel. As Sister Eleanor stated, it's be solely for the benefit of the Zionist regime of Israel. So clearly, the Africans made a tactical error in terms of recognize uh, Israel as a as an observer. Uh, in fact, uh, if, if 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 they were smart, they would rescind that offer and tell them, "Say no, 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 thank you. Uh, you know, we we'll, we got this one. We'll handle ourselves." So clearly. Uh, this is a big mistake. I'd like to add one other thing, Brother Akeem, and that is is that I didn't know whether or not the uh, 
the ambassador from Israel in this case was uh, Falacha, originally of Ethiopian heritage, because as you know, the African Union is now located in Addis Ababa, where since it's uh, you know its rebirth, and uh, this is purely a capitalist uh, move. But as you said, Brother Akeem, Israel's number one uh, sales item is this tech, this invasive tech technology, and you see what an impact it had on the elections in Mexico very recently. Now, no one takes uh, responsibility for the fact that Israel was selling that uh, tracking technology that caused so many people to lose their lives before the elections, and a reporter who was talking about uh, Israel's involvement it is technological involvement in the Mexico Mexican uh, elections, most recent elections, said that he was safe. He couldn't be found. He wouldn't accept any other protection because he didn't know who he could be trusted by. But he didn't realize that his phone would tell them where he was because it's not fiber optics that they need. It was point-to-point technology. So they were able to track him day the Israeli uh, contractor or the person contracting Israeli services was able to track this this reporter, this journalist, wherever he might have been. They were able to track everyone through their cell phones. And uh, uh, this is just a capitalist gain. Um, right now, Ethiopia itself has um, embarked on a, a major... Uh, agricultural uh, campaign that is bringing uh, new agricultural uh, production techniques to an arid climate, and Israel is thinking about its future profits, is thinking about political control by selling its technology, because that technology is not only made available to its clients, but at the same time, they can watch what their clients are watching and manipulate the political climate in any of the countries where they are doing business. So it's capitalism at its worst. Well, panelists, uh, listen, I want you to get a chance check that article out, and I think I transitioned to our third article for the night, as it is titled... The board supervisor recently approved the sheriff's department budget without asking any questions or instituting any accountability measures. Now, when you read this article, it sounds like a situation that probably you could find all over urban America. Um, Brother Haki. What was it about this article when you look at the relationship between the board supervisor and the sheriff's department in relationship to the African immunity that sort of that is sort of probably universally in terms of the issues that were raised in this article dealing with race and accountability? How do you think that may differ from any other urban cities? Sounds like probably something that if you go to more cities you have the same relationship and problems, Brother Haki. Your take? Yeah, I I, I hope I, I hope I, I concur wholeheartedly. Uh, no question about that. 
uh, the relationship between the various bureaucracies in the context of a city uh, is to uh, work together. And so, therefore, the respective borders, if you really think the board of supervisors are going to confront the, the sheriff's department uh, in San Francisco, it's simply not going to happen uh, for a number of reasons, or primarily because if the sheriff, in fact, uh, uh, attempted to engage in real meaningful change in terms of how the sheriff's department operates, particularly when it comes to how it in- interacts with the African community, then he wouldn't be there. He or she wouldn't be there very, very long. They'd be gone. They're simply not going to allow that. Uh, but if I, in reading this article, I get a sense that the the the, the sheriff of, of of San Francisco is pretty much supportive of his troops in terms of the kind of abuse they inflict upon the African community. Because as you say, Brother Africa, this is sort of uh, endemic in terms of policing, uh, you know, throughout the Americas. And so clearly, you know, uh, one of the things I think also. Uh, when you start talking about the the, 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 the the cultural aspect in terms of policing, uh, one of the things is that we talk the blue the blue wall of silence. Then clearly, when you talk about abuse of African people, then the, the blue wall of silence in fact calls for officers to shut, to be very very quiet. And it doesn't matter what the color of their skin is, as long as they wear the, that uniform, then they are obligated to shut their mouths when it comes to abuse inflicted upon African people. And that's unfortunate, but nonetheless true throughout the country. Also, but the much bigger question, I think, Brother Africa, is the, the whole lack of, um, of conscientious people who are police officers. One of the things when the when the, uh, when the, when the circuit court in Massachusetts stated that uh, the, the law enforcement legally can discriminate against people who are intelligent, it meant that uh, the people who are most apt in terms of being effective as police officers were simply disqualified because they were too intelligent. In other words, the perception was that to be too intelligent means that you're going to ask, to ask questions in terms of how things exist in, in the police force. So as far as the police is concerned, you don't want people who question things. You want people who simply go along. When they're told to do something, they simply do it in deference. And so clearly, you know, this is, this is a fundamental problem in terms of law enforcement throughout the, uh, throughout the country. And it was very, very clear in terms of the article in terms of as related to the sheriff's department, you know, right there in San Francisco. But kudos to uh, Felicia Jones in terms of her her, her her adamant stand in terms of trying to address these very, very issues in terms of the impact, uh, the very adverse, the very negative impact uh, the police, uh, the sheriff's department actions are having on the African community. I'm just sort of just sad the fact that the sister standing alone, that, you know, and by being alone, it virtually uh, assures her, you know, a, a very, very um, uh, harsh treatment you know, by law enforcement types, simply because she's so isolated. Now, in order, for, in order to ensure that she's not um, victimized or vilified by the police, then you've got to have a, a, a certain number of people who turn in support capacity to make sure, you know, that, uh, you know, that the law enforcement understands that if you continue to inflict uh, harassment against Felicia Jones, then, then all you're going to do is make us work hard in terms of expanding this organization. And so, therefore, in that context, they're less likely to continue to harass her because they realize, you know, that their harassment leads to greater numbers in terms of joining organization. So clearly, you know, we got to applaud the kind of work that she's doing in terms of her work in San Francisco and trying to fight for the for the for the rights of African people against uh, which which seems like overwhelming odds in terms of the kind of indifference uh, to the plight of African people there in San Francisco. Uh, but clearly, Brother Africa, you're absolutely correct. The bottom line is that when we talk about injustice and fixed point African people, it's universal. You can go to any city, any county in the state and find uh, incidences of, 
you know, African people being adversely impacted, you know, by uh, police action. So clearly, you know, you're absolutely correct. This is this is this is countrywide. Sister Eleanor, we'll be talking about affecting the African community development when we read this article. What are sort of political issues we have to deal with from this article, Sister Eleanor? Well, one, I would like to say I'm glad that uh, wealth and disparity in the black communities, the organization founded by Sister Felicia Jones, um, penned this article for us because uh, for the for the public, so that uh, we can be informed and know what's going on. I found a couple of things interesting about this article. From our first article, the mayor of San Francisco. Uh, thank sheriff the uh, sheriff uh, for his work in eliminating and working with the the city of San Francisco to um, uh, make these phone calls free to prisoners. But uh, on the other hand, I find it interesting that he uh, set up a polemic his office and the. Uh, supervisor of uh, of the uh, uh, Department of Human Resources were telling people to call in, and they needed to call in a day ahead uh, to attend a hearing, June 24th, on the uh, situation concerning the the, the sheriff, and uh, that they were having to wait hours, hours just to have a five-minute conversation, and that they, out of 131-some responses, so few people were able to get through, and that they just ignored emails altogether. And they suggested that the harassment that Ms. Jones is enduring is at her own uh, request, that she requested a physical barricade between her and and her colleagues. I, I don't think so. But Sheriff Mi, uh, Miyamoto was mentioned in our first article, and here he is again ignoring uh, uh, the concerns of the public as well as elected officials. So I find that quite interesting. And it shows that it's really important in terms of Microeconomic, a micro political economy, for people to take control and 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 make sure they run a hard line against those of local elected officials and put ones in that are more favorable to the concerns of the people. So uh, that's what I get from this article. I also see that. Uh, uh, there seems to be a contradiction from the first article. Did the mayor actually thank Sheriff uh, Miyamoto for uh, for his behavior? Because in the article it says he's never addressed nor apologized for the outlandish hostility exhibited by the members of his department towards Miss Jones as well as the people. So... Um, and of the 131 emails they they said uh, uh, that were 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 known to be sent to Sheriff Miyamoto uh, on the topic, 
that he only answered 36. So politics counts. He apparently thought those 36 of that 131 were people that made a difference politically because the sheriff's job is an elected official's job. That's a job where you're elected to that post. So uh, I just see this as an example of why we need to suppress uh, uh, candidates that are not working in the interest of the people. And um, in terms of uh, at all, the, the black city and black county workers have reported uh, anti-black racism for years. So this is just not uh, something that's gone un, unnoticed, not at all. And they talk about the, uh, they've even, the article says that they made national news um, suing based on discrimination, that city workers and county workers had sued based on um, anti-black racism. But uh, apparently they think no one's listening and, and, it, and it doesn't matter. I think it's up to the public to make it matter. And uh, I think uh, uh, the sheriff obviously needs to go. When his term ends, they need to have another candidate groomed and ready to take Miyatomoto's place. And apparently Chin and uh, Perkins and the other persons that are the supervisors, Perkins, uh, Chan, C-H-A-N, and Mar have not answered anyone's concerns as well. So um, if they are employed, they need to be reprimanded, if not terminated. And if they're elected officials, it's time for them to be unelected. Brother Moses? Because there's no corrective action taken regarding any complaint. Brother so Moses. Suspension of the sheriff's department budget. Cut the sheriff's budget off. Yeah, I agree with the article. Let's get rid of the sheriff's budget. Reduce it. Brother Moses, what you take from this article? What's your thoughts on this article, Brother Moses? Uh, the one article I didn't read. Uh, uh, I'm going to leave it right there. Okay, no problem. All right, panelists, uh, well done. What we're going to do, we're going to take a culture break, and when we run through a culture break, we're going to come back with an actual for your final thoughts for today's program. We'll be right back. This is Africa on the Move. We all agree tonight, all of the speakers have agreed that America has a very serious problem. Not only does America have a very serious problem, It's one of two suckers, ignorant brothers, trying to rob and steal from one another. You get caught in the mid, so to crush that 
stereotype, here's what we did. We got ourselves together so that you could unite and fight for what's right. Not negative cause, the way we live is positive. We don't tell our relatives. Pop, 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 when it's shot, who's the blame? Headlines, front page, and rap, the name. MC Delight, here to state the bottom line. The black on black crime was way before our time. Just a brother's life with a knife, that's right. Cry, cause he died of trifling death when he left his very last breath. Was I slept to watch his step? Back in the 60s, our brothers and sisters were hanged. How could you gangbang? I never ever ran from the Ku Klux Klan, and I shouldn't have to run from a black man. Cause that's... Fight and bust it. Have 
Fresh out the door so there'll be no bum rushing Let's get together because we're falling apart I heard a brother shot another, it broke my heart I don't understand the difficulty, people Love your brother, treat him as an equal They call us animals, mm-mm, I don't agree with them I'll prove them wrong, but right is what you're proving them Take keys before I leave for what I'm saying Or we'll all be on our knees praying The heavy deep, deep in the heart of the matter The self-destruction is served on a platter Making a day, not failing to anticipate They got greedy, so they fell for the bait That makes them a victim, picked and plucked New jack in jail, but this the best they ever duck There's no one around, cause in jail you're a number they never took the time to wonder about Yes, we urge to merge We live for the love of our people To hope they get along Getting a point to our brothers and sisters Who don't know the time With intellect to revolve, to evolve the self-respect. Cause we got to keep ourselves in check. Or else it That's what we don't want to do. That's not got to scrub. That's what we're gonna do. That's if we do. Participating in organization to be organized. Let's get organized. Organization is key. It will help us be free. So don't forget that. We welcome you back to Africa on the Move. And right now we're going to make our final thoughts on the 8th of August, our closing program. As relates to part two, affecting human development and our bodies. So for our final thoughts tonight, we'll go right now to Brother Moses. Brother Moses, give us your final thoughts for tonight. The mic is yours. Yes, indeed. It's been a rather interesting session. Uh, I hope that, you know, we have a lot of lovers, not fighters. Uh, make love, not war. Uh, I think, you know, we... We have to study the enemy and take him seriously. And uh, right now, the number one enemy is this COVID, and then there's the class struggle that continues. And uh, we have to be participate in the struggle for production and scientific experiment. Meanwhile, um, I look forward to another good show. Uh, I'll leave it right there. Thank you. Thank you, Brother Moses, for your participation and contribution to today's program. We next would go to Sister Eleanor. Sister Eleanor, your final thought. Yeah, but Brother Africa, I'd just like to say I wanted to just in closing go back to the last article and, and the woman Carol Eisen, the director of human resources, um, ignored uh Miss Jones's concern and Miss Jones had asked that people that wanted to Get involved, contact uh, the wealth and disparity in black community at mwjusticenow at gmail.com. And that she, uh, in her article, she did note that three of the county supervisors uh, that was uh, 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 Hanny. Uh, Melger and Watson at least responded to her concerns and that this conspiracy that Ms. Eisen and that the 
other supervisors were uh, um, uh, 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 this attack where they isolated Miss Jones in her workspace where they actually created a physical barricade and were ostracizing her and attacking her and marginalizing Miss Phyllis Jones in retaliation for her anti uh, anti racist work policy that she doesn't want to see racism in the workplace. So it just uh, I would t- say to anyone just to please respond to uh, Miss Jones at mgjusticenow at gmail dot com. And that um, after she supervisors has received emails on April 7th, June 21st, June 23rd, July 1st, 2021, that only 36 of them were responded to. And that apart from supervisors Handy, Melger, and uh, Watson, no action of any kind has occurred. And the best thing we can do is stand in solidarity with the immediate suspension of the sheriff's department budget until there is a time when they can come up with a, uh, as is requested, where they can come up with a plan for accountability and a written plan and commitment by the sheriff to quarterly report to the public and uh, city officials regarding how the department is identifying racism and corruption within the department and eliminating it. So thank you so much, Brother Africa, for allowing me to participate in this evening's program. And uh, remember that uh, Mother Earth is suffering, and this pandemic is uh, killing us every day. So I hope <clears throat> and I know I stand in in in, in opposition to our some of our listeners and, and our analysts, but I think that if we vaccinate everyone, we can't save anyone. So I just hope everyone uh, has a, a great week and be well, and thank you for allowing me to participate in this evening's forum. Thank you, Sarah Noah, for your contribution to today's program as well. And we now will go to Brother Haki. Brother Haki, your final thoughts. Tonight, you know, you know, Brother Africa, you know what uh, the truth often uh, surfaces to the, you know, to the top. Uh, you know, uh, it's very interesting. And recently, there's a case in Canada right now, which got the U.S. up in up in up in arms, because the case involves a, a guy by the name of Saad Jabri. Uh, he's a spy master. He worked for the U.S. in terms of a lot of covert uh, operations uh, in the U.S. and throughout the world. Now, Al Jabri stated that uh, the leadership of Saudi Arabia, Mohammed bin Sultan, attempted to kill him in Canada, and as a consequence, you know, you know, taking Mohammed bin bin Sultan to, to to trial, he's willing to disclose a lot of information pertaining to his involvement uh, uh, with the CIA in terms of, uh, you know, uh, covert operations in the U.S. and throughout the world. Now, what is interesting is that the, the parents of the 9-11 Commission have been trying for a long, long time to get certain information, uh, you know, about, you know, what really happened in terms of 9-11. And so, therefore, it seems like this guy, Jabri is actually in a position to provide information that the, that the parents of 9-11 victims uh, actually uh, want to know. 
And, of course, it's creating great stress for the United States. Uh, one of the things right now, they're trying to figure out, you know, how to silence this guy. Uh, they evoked, this, they evoked this, 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 this standard of state secrets, privilege, in which, uh, you know, um, it's illegal to divulge, you know, uh, any type of uh, U.S. covert action because it's, it's damaging to national security. Uh, but, of course, this is in Canada. So the question is, Canada law doesn't, uh, you know, it, Canada has its own law of respect in terms of, you know, uh, you know, um, you know what is acceptable and what is not. And so the U.S. is in a unique position of now trying to pressure Canada to make sure that certain information is simply not allowed or not uh, uh, accessible, you know, to the courts. So I find this very, very interesting, uh, you know, uh, like I said earlier. When we talk about the origin of COVID-19, we, we ask the question, so why isn't scientists allowed to, to enter uh, uh, Fort Detrick in Maryland to, to assess whether or not uh, COVID-19 was created there? Well, it seems to me this question in terms of secrecy is, is something that um, in the U.S. involves itself in a lot. So this question of secrecy really is, is no more than an attempt to, to, to uh, disc not disclose of the reality in terms of U.S. involvement when it comes to all kind of illegalities. So clearly, you know, uh, this case, I certainly hope it comes to trial, but uh, the U.S. Is, is pressuring China, uh, Canada right now in terms of, you know, not, not hearing this case, certainly to restrict what is, what is, what is allowable in terms of a particular trial. So it's going to be very, very interesting. And I say all this to say that when we talk about injustice, uh, when we talk about inequality, when we talk about the needless suffering in society, we have to understand that a lot of this stuff is a result of planning, and whether or not we understand the nature of the planning, the planning nonetheless does impact on, on the way things get done in society and how things play themselves out. So we have to, as a conscious, as conscious human beings, we have to begin to assess, you know, what precisely is going on, you know, why are policies taking place in this society at such a, a rapid rate? Why is this happening? Why is it that fundamentally the corporations uh, exude a tremendous amount of power when increasingly people have no power at all? What does this all mean? And I got to say I was very, very happy to hear the, hear the brother call in to give his analysis in terms of what's going on because it shows that there are a lot of people out there who are actually thinking about this, this stuff, and it's important because if we don't think about this stuff, one thing, our ignorance is going to lead to our demise. And clearly, you know, aside from you know, aside from the question in terms of you know leading to our demise, the more immediate concern is the protection of our children, to protect our children's emotional, intellectual uh, abilities. We have have to have organization, and with organ and organization is only possible to the extent that people understand the necessity of organization. Time is running out, uh, the clock is ticking. We have to build this organization, and as always, Brother Africa, uh, I encourage people to unravel the matrix because that is key. That is key to any movement forward. Without it, it makes the situation much, much more difficult for African people navigation, navigating such insanity in this society. And having said that, Brother Africa, you have a good night. And you do the same, Brother Haki. Good night to all of our participants, our guests, our supporters, our listening audience. You have been listening to Part 2, Affecting Human Development and Our Bodies. This is on the eighth day of August, 2021. We'd like to remind you that, remember, we are in the process of planning our freedom ride trip to Cuba, along with the Under the Direction of African Women's Association. 
If you'd like to join us, please email us at African Awareness Association 2 at gmail at gmail.com or email the radio station at Africa on the Move 2 at gmail.com. Come and join us from December 27 to January 3rd, 2022. Right in the new year, learning something from our people and showing our support and solidarity with the Cuban people in our revolution. Also, we'd like to remind you that this program is a program that comes on weekly, every Sunday evening, starting at 7 p.m. Eastern Time, U.S. Please spread the word, share the program when you get their links, and let's build our audience. Let's make sure that we get everybody the opportunity to hear the information that we bring to them on a weekly basis. Because we try to enlighten you, we try to educate you, we try to inform you, we try to stimulate you. We try to do all the things that are needed in order for our people to be free and we have a bright future. So on that note, again, we'd like to thank you for joining us, and we'll see you next week, same time, same place. And remember, without information, you cannot thank you, and without organization, you can't thank you. Join the organization that's working for your people and to help advance humanity at the same time. We should always be striving to go forward, backwards, never. This has been Africa on the Move, and we leave you with some revolutionary music. This has been Africa on the Move. Brother, there's far too many of you dying. You know we've got to find a way to bring some love here today. Father, Father, we don't need to escalate. War is not the answer. For only love can come to You know we've got to find a way To bring some love and kiss here today Pick it black and pick it fast Don't punish me with brutality Talk to me so you can see
with the Lucky Land Plus, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandsLots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.